Good evening all. Good to be with you again. And it's been a wonderful week together in the presence of the Lord around His Word. And I've really enjoyed fellowship with you. And it was good to have fellowship with uh, uh, ministers, pastors, elders and deacons this morning in the Baptist Church. We had a good time there as well. But it's good to be with all you folk tonight and tomorrow night again. Now, I don't know how you are, but I'm quite tired. And uh, I haven't been getting home most of these nights to 12, almost 12. Uh, and so there's a physical tiredness. But I'm, I'm not, we're very intricately made up of spirit, soul, and body. And it's hard at times to work out what's what. But I do sense a bit of a heaviness in the meeting tonight. Does anybody agree with me? Now, I'm going to try and teach you something here. It's taken me to Thursday night, but I'm going to try and teach you something here. There is a gift that the Holy Spirit gives. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit for today. And one of them is the discerning of spirits. Have you heard of that one? The discerning of spirits. And there's the Holy Spirit. There are demonic spirits. There are human spirits. And there are angelic spirits. And the gift of discerning of spirits helps us understand when any of those are about or when there's something wrong, in particular with the human spirit. Now, I am physically tired, but I sense tonight that there is a heaviness on the meeting. Now, I don't know what it is, but I wanted to go. All right? So let's all stand together to pray. And I want you to pray with me, okay? Let's stand to pray. And what I want you to do is pray with me in your heart to the Lord. Okay? And so much of the time we'll have to fill at the front because we think he's paid to do it. Biggest lot of nonsense ever. We let him do the praying and we just sit there listening or I don't know, thinking about what we're going to do when we get home. We need to enter in. And what I want you to do now is you pray. Some people don't even know where their human spirit is. And, and God will teach you that over time if you ask him to show you. But I want you to rise up in your heart. You understand what, you mean, what, what I mean when I say that? Rise up in your heart, your spirit, and ask God to dispel any heaviness in you on this meeting and ask his spirit to come. Would you do that? All right? Not audibly, in your heart as I pray. Would you unite with me in prayer? And then that little prayer I've been asking you to pray every night that God will speak to you. We want, as our brother said, the intensity of God's Spirit and presence in this place to, to grow tonight. So let's come. Abba, Father, we come to you in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, our Father, for the glorious cross. We thank you for that song we've just been singing. Oh, the thought of it. What our Savior had to suffer there at Calvary. And to think that our names are engraven in his hands. And so, Lord, we are your covenant people. We are the people who have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. And, Lord, we will not cow-cow to the devil. We will not stand on the back foot. And we proclaim tonight into heavenly realms, say it with me, Jesus Christ is Lord. Say it again. Jesus Christ is Lord. And Father, we want Jesus Christ to be Lord of this place, of this moment, of this space, of this time, of this meeting. And in his name, we dispel all darkness, all heaviness upon our spirits, souls, and bodies, our minds, emotions, and will. You have no authority here, and we command you to go in Jesus' name, and we say, Father, send the Holy Spirit. Send your presence upon us. In mighty power we pray, and come and speak to us. And may none of us be the same after this meeting tonight. Lord, stir up our spirits to lay hold upon God tonight, as never before in our lives. Lord, we need you. We thirst after you. Lord, let us not be in a desert or a wilderness tonight, but may those waters spring up and may the desert become pools and oceans and rivers of living water. Oh, come, we pray, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Heavenly Father. 
and meet with us tonight in the mighty, all-victorious name of our Lord Jesus. And we pray together, Lord, as the family of God, we pray the family prayer as our Savior taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I don't know about you, but I feel better after that. We're turning to chapter 6 of Ephesians again, and verse 10. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Let's read this wonderful passage together again. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Well, some of you have been with us every night, and uh, you'll get a medal for endurance. That's the perseverance of the saints, isn't it? Uh, we've been looking at the armor of God, the necessity of realizing that there is a war on. Uh, that was Sunday night. We looked at the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness Monday night. Uh, what else? The shoes of the gospel of peace Tuesday night. And last night, the shield of faith. And let it be said again, and I know I'm repeating myself and will repeat myself quite a bit in this series, but it's important and I want to give different aspects of the same truth but I must repeat this caveat. We are not giving any attention unnecessarily to Satan. That is not what we're doing. He loves attention. He loves to be paraded and portrayed as very, very powerful. He is powerful. But God's power it's, it's redundant even to compare God's power to Satan's power. And what you need to know and what he needs to be reminded of is his power is a created power. He was created by God and the power that he has comes from God. Now, it's a prostituted power. But all, what does the psalm say? Power belongs to God and he's our God. This God is our God, and he will be our guide even unto death. Isn't that wonderful? And for this purpose, Christ was revealed to destroy all the works of the evil one. So when we're talking about him these nights, we're talking about him as a defeated foe. And we are lifting up the mighty name of the conqueror, the captain of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And tonight we're looking at the helmet of salvation. Verse 17, uh, take the helmet of salvation. Now, it doesn't take too much imagination to conjure up to the mind the helmet, probably the helmet of a Roman soldier. You may have seen it in films or in books. And this helmet was made of bronze with leather attachments. It had a band to protect the forehead, 
and then it had plates that come down the cheeks of the jowls, and then it also had an extended piece that came down the back of the neck to protect the neck. And when it was strapped in place with leather straps, uh, everything around the head area was protected except the, the eyes, the nose, and the mouth. And, of course, the reason we need a helmet is, in battle, the deadliest wounds are usually inflicted upon the head. Now, the other even, uh, evening, Monday night, I think it was, we looked at the breastplate of righteousness, and we saw that practical illustration how the breastplate covers the vital organs, the heart, the lungs, and so on. Equally so, the head, of course, <laughs> is a vital part of our anatomy. Sensory perception, it's the computer of the human uh, physiology. And therefore, it's vital that as we go into human battle, the head is protected. A soldier can lose a limb in battle. He can be heavily injured and keep resisting in the fight, but if he loses his head, it's all over. You agree with me? So the helmet is vitally important. But what we need to understand, and we're going to see this more in our conclusion tomorrow evening at the end of, the, uh, of my message, is that essentially this whole armor, it, it's called the armor of God because it is the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, it is God himself. It's the very armor that God wears he gives to us. And if you were to go, you don't have to look at it tonight, Isaiah 59, 17, we read of Jehovah, he put on righteousness as a breastplate, identical to Ephesians 6. A helmet of salvation on his head, and he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing was clad with zeal as a cloak. This is God's armor. God doesn't give us some creative thing, some second-hand garment. He is actually giving us the armor he wears himself. In fact, he is wrapping us with his own person. It's not remarkable. This is God who is round about us. So what is this helmet of salvation there? Well, it's self-explanatory, isn't it, really? The helmet of salvation. Because it's on the head, it speaks of knowledge. And really what Paul is saying here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is if we are going to be conquerors in the battle and stand on the victory ground that we've seen has already been won for us for the Lord Jesus, and we're going to fight victoriously from that victory standpoint, we need to know, we need to understand salvation truth. Now, it is elementary to say you need to know how to be born again, how to be right with God and justified by faith, repent of your sins, believe the gospel, and, and know that you're right with God. That, that is basic Christian doctrine, but it would surprise you how many folk in our churches, if you sat them down and actually cross-questioned, explain me the gospel, how they could actually articulate biblically what it means to come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, the gift of eternal life through salvation in Him. But this is more than just knowing the ABCs of being saved. This is a knowledge, and it's an experiential knowledge, because that's what knowledge means in the Bible, by the way, true knowledge. It's not just the intellectual stuff that puffs up and makes us become proud, but knowing in the Bible is always an intimate, experiential thing. We've got to enter into the full ramifications of everything that it means to be saved in Jesus Christ. I've said on several occasions already, and I emphasize it again to the men this morning, that so often we have limited our gospel just to this ticket to heaven business. When there is a full-orbed, complete, full salvation that deals with the spirit, the soul, and the body, the whole human being is catered for and ministered to in the wholeness of the gospel. But we need to know it. We need to understand it. And if we're going to overcome the enemy in our minds, we've got to have a true appreciation and experiential knowledge of what it means to be a child of God. Do you have that tonight? When I was uh, a teenager, I went through a very painful, well, all my teens were quite painful, I have a very good family, nothing to do with that. My circumstances were good. We, we weren't rolling in money, but we weren't really poor. And 
things were, were average. I've always been Mr. Average all my life. And the enemy knew the buttons to press, and I've alluded to this in other nights. Fear was probably my biggest problem. And the fear that he entered initially through was the fear of not being right with God, doubting my salvation. And honestly, I, I was tortured by that. And I've found over the years uh, in pastoral work that many young people who have grown up in Christian homes, this is a problem. Because the enemy doesn't like the security of a Christian home and the covering of it. And maybe he can't dupe the children into other errors that, 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 that other folk uh, in non-Christian homes uh, fall, fall into. So he comes in this guise to question their security in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I nearly went mental. I really did. Over doubts about my salvation, insecurity, and fear. The long and the short of that is that the Lord came to me uh, through a crisis, through a crisis of this experience, where someone actually told me that I wasn't saved at all. And I had to decide whether I was going to trust God or trust men or my own emotions. And so really what I got through to was a knowledge of security in Jesus Christ. And it, it was really then, though I had been saved from a child, it was really then that I entered into a security of what it means to know that I am a child of God. And that's what God wants for you. God wants you to know that you're a child of God. And we can have all our debates about the theology of perseverance and all the rest. But ultimately, Jesus died, rose again, the Holy Spirit came, and the gospel has been preached so that you might know and be sure and secure as a child of God and God as your Father. That has been one of the greatest revolutionary truths that I have discovered, and it's changed my life, more so later, in latter years, to understand that God is my Abba Father, and that is the Aramaic word for Daddy. God is my Abba. A little Jewish boy would run up and jump on his daddy's knee and cry, Abba, Abba, Abba. And we are not given a spirit of fear to put us into bondage, but the Bible says we're given the spirit of God's Son, Jesus, in our hearts rising up, crying, Abba, Father. And I tell you, if you've been saved for years and you've never entered into that revelation that God is your Abba, Father, I say it gently to you, and hopefully tantalizingly, you've missed the whole point of Christianity. It is to know that you're a child of the Father. And some of us, I said it one other evening, have had bad earthly fathers, and it gets in the way of this intimate relationship. We maybe don't know what a true father was meant to be. Maybe he was elusive. Maybe he was cruel and harsh. Maybe he was a perfectionist. And maybe we're like the elder brother in the story of the, the, the prodigal son. We're living on the premises and, and, and we're in the vicinity of the house of God. But we're not relating to God as our father. We're relating to God as our master. And he is to be feared and reverenced. And he is the almighty, holy, holy, holy one. But the wonder of the new covenant is that he's made us sons and daughters. And Jesus says to us, I call you no longer servants, but I call you friends. Is that what you know tonight? Is that your Christianity? You can come as a child and say, Abba. Abba, Father. You've got to have a knowledge, you see, because this is vital. This is vital. I've, I've emphasized in, in this whole book, chapter 1, 2, and 3, essentially lay out who we are in Christ, what Jesus has done for us in quickening us, raising us up together to sit together in heavenly places with Jesus, our inheritance in heaven where we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in that place now. Remember what I said? We're seated with him, and we've got a walk worthy of the calling wherewith we're called. These are the truths of the gospel. And it is that that will set us up for chapter 6 for the battle. You see, what we believe affects the way we behave. Let me repeat that statement again from Sunday evening, I think it was. What we do does not determine who we are. Listen, what we do does not determine who we are. That is legalism. Who we are 
determines what we do. We've got to find our identity in God as sons and daughters, and we've got to understand who we've been made in Jesus Christ, what the blessings of God are that are yes and amen in Jesus. And when we start to understand, I'm a child of the King. I'm adopted into God's family. I know that I have the Holy Spirit within me. I'm assured of eternal life. Boy, that will... Listen, who you are determines how you behave. Can I ask you tonight, do you have a performance-based Christianity? Do's and don'ts. Hmm? And you're miserable. And you look at some of you. Forgive me. You don't really. You know what I mean? Do's and don'ts. I'm not saying there aren't do's and don'ts. But the do's and don'ts come out of a heart relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the law of love. Love God with all that you are. Love your neighbors yourself. That fulfills all the laws. But are you doing it out of love? Are you doing it out of love as a child to a father? That's what it's all about. But if you have a performance-based relationship with God, what are you trying to do? You're trying to earn his love. You're trying to gain his acceptance. To qualify. And that's not grace. Listen, God cannot be met on that plane. He isn't there. He isn't there. We understand what salvation is by grace through faith in the gospel well it really does liberate you boy does it liberate you to know you are accepted in the beloved you're secure tonight i believe there are people here that need to hear me say this if you have trusted christ as your savior you're secure you're safe you're in the family would you stop worrying? Would you stop fretting? Would you start enjoying? Would you start learning what it is to be a child of the Lord? Do you know who you are in Christ? Neil Anderson's books are brilliant on this, and, and I, I'm just mentioning them because they're on the book table. There's a lot of other good books on, on these issues. But um, in, in, in his books, there is usually at the back, and he's got a little book called Steps to Freedom in Christ, which, which have this in it as well. There's a list of biblical texts describing who I am in Christ. Now listen, the helmet of salvation is on the head because these are things you need to put into your mind. Remember we saw the other evening concerning the peace, the shoes of peace, that we need to be meditating on things that are true, things that are noble and honest and of good report. And we need to stop listening to the lies of the devil. What he says, what is he saying? He says, you're rubbish. You're no good. You're a failure. You're a washout of a Christian. You're a half-baked saint of God. You know what he's saying. And sometimes that has come from things that have been said to us, as we've seen. But we need to replace the lies with the truth. And that's who we are in Christ. Do you know who you are in Christ? Let me share this list. I made a wee bookmark out of it. And all of them are scripture. Who I am in Christ. First of all, I am accepted. I am God's child. I am Christ's friend. I have been justified. I am united with the Lord one spirit. I am bought with a price. I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I am a saint. I have been adopted as God's child. I have access to God through the Holy Spirit. I have been redeemed and forgiven. I am complete in Christ. You're accepted. And then he goes further. I am secure. I am free forever from condemnation. I am assured all works together for my good. I am free from any charge against me. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I am established, anointed, sealed by God. I am hidden with Christ in God. I am confident that the good work God has begun in me, he will perfect. I am a citizen of heaven. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. I can find grace and mercy in time of need. I am born of God. The evil one cannot touch me. I'm secure. 
The last list he gives is, I am significant. Can I ask you, do you feel significant tonight? Or do you feel a nobody? Listen, if you're a child of God, you're not a nobody. I am the salt of the earth, the light of the world. I am a branch of the true vine, a channel of his life. I have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. I am a personal witness of Christ. I am God's temple. I am a minister of reconciliation for God. I am God's co-worker. I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. I am God's workmanship. I may approach God with freedom and confidence. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am significant. I am secure. I am accepted. That is who I am in Christ. Now, is that what you think about every day? Be honest now. That is putting on the helmet of salvation. Reminding yourself who you are in Christ. One of the law of uh, digestion is that you are what you eat. And that's pretty scary if you think of some of the rubbish we eat, isn't it? You are what you eat. So you eat that big steak and pepper sauce and garlic fries. Huh? You become it. It actually becomes part of you. Huh? Moment on the lips, lifetime on the... You know, you know what it's like. It assimilates and becomes part of our bodies. Equally so, whatever you put into your mind, whatever you put on your head, will become a part of you. It will determine your makeup on an everyday basis. And you know that some of you are feeding regularly on negativity and the lies of the devil, and because of that, you are being overcome, and your behavior is being determined by that. Put on the helmet of salvation. Get secure in Jesus Christ. Know that you are safe and accepted, and that you are significant, not in yourself. This isn't a positive thinking pep talk. And trying to raise your self-esteem and tell, tell yourself, oh, you're a wonderful person. We're not talking about that in the human flesh. We're talking about who we are in Christ. And we can't argue with what God says we are in Christ. Some of you desperately need to put on the helmet of salvation. It makes such a difference, won't it? And of course, this helmet is on the head. It's on the mind. I want to show you this. I've, I've alluded to this in previous nights about the battle that there is for the mind. Would you turn with me, please, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. Matthew, chapter 16. You remember the Lord Jesus with, with his disciples in Caesarea Philippi. And he asked them a question, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? In verse 14 they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, I want to teach you something further about how... Our minds are receptors to the spiritual realm. Now, a couple of questions, because you learn from, from asking questions even when you don't know the answer. Did Simon Peter experience a takeover when this revelation came to him? What I mean is, was he zapped in some supernatural way? Was there a, a mighty trance that came upon him and did he start speaking like a robot and say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God? Is that what happened? No. Further question. Do you think Peter actually thought, did the cognitive processes, were they active when Peter was speaking? Was he thinking about what he said? I think he was. Further question. Do you think he thought that this came from him? Do you? Hello? Have you been taken over? Still there? What do you think? As far as Peter was concerned, I think he thought he thought this thought. 
It came from him. He opened his mouth, didn't he? And he spoke it. But what did Jesus say? Peter, this didn't come from you. Your Father in heaven revealed this to you. Now here's a lesson. Because, and here's a principle for you to help. One of the biggest obstacles to the supernatural is the desire for the spectacular. I believe God sometimes does the spectacular. But that can be a problem if that's what we're always looking for. And especially God communicating. Listen, God has spoken to you hundreds of thousands of times and you haven't even perceived it. Because you might be thinking that God does some kind of neon light sign to show you that he's talking to you. When often he's talking to you through a still small voice in your human spirit by the Holy Spirit. And just like Simon Peter here, he was speaking out a revelation from God the Father and I think he didn't even know it. Is that not interesting? Because some of us have an idea even of biblical inspiration, you know, that the apostles were took over and they became veritable Holy Ghost you know, dictaphones, and God was just speaking to them, and they would write it all down. That's not the way it happened. Because you can see, actually, each writer's character traits and personality coming through in the books. Now, I'm not saying at times God didn't directly give revelation, and they didn't directly write it down. I think that did happen. But mostly, their personalities, men of God, were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they wrote, they wrote. And this is wonderfully liberating. You know why? Because God is a personality. And He's not against our personality. He wants to sanctify our personality. And is it wonderful? You get all these different, probably 40 men wrote the whole Bible and all their personality traits come through and God owns it and God sanctifies it and God moves through it because He's personality, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if you haven't got a personality, you get one. God can use you. Don't bury your personality. Allow God to use it. But what I'm trying to say is here, like the discerning of spirits that I mentioned earlier, we've got to start being conscious of how God can speak to us in a very understated way and speak to others through us and we'll eventually learn to perceive it. Wonderful, isn't it? Now, but hold on a wee minute. Come on with me here again. Skip verse 17, 18, 19, and down to verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned to him, Peter, and said, Get behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. What's happening here? Who's speaking through Peter now? The devil. Did you know that the devil can speak through Christians? People tell me the devil has nothing to do with Christians. We good, squeaky clean Christians. The devil doesn't go near them, never bothers them. Listen. The devil can speak through your mouth, Christian. Here you have it. Notice Jesus didn't rebuke Peter. He rebuked the spirit behind Peter. He rebuked Satan because he recognized Satan was speaking through Peter. Now hold on a wee minute. Again, was he totally possessed? Was he taken over by the devil? Was there an, a, a big growling voice came out of his mouth? No, it was his voice. Was his thought processes with the cogs turning round? Yes. I'll tell you more than that. Peter's heart was beating for Jesus. Here was a heart of love that was speaking for Jesus because he didn't want Jesus to die. He was his friend. And he was the Messiah and he was confessing him as the Messiah, and he believed that he was going to liberate Israel from the, the, the Romans and all the rest, set up the kingdom of God. But what I want you to understand, here was a heart that loved Jesus, but a mouth that spoke for the devil. Now, isn't that very interesting? 
a heart that loved Jesus, but a mouth that spoke Satan's word. But that's not what I want to emphasize. What I want to emphasize is that our hearts, yes, are sinful. But as I said last evening, if you can see that every thought that comes into your mind comes from you, you will be devastated. Because the thoughts that can come into our minds at times are awful. And there are thoughts that we wouldn't want to think. They don't come from our natural inclinations. I have plenty of natural sinful inclinations and I sort of know when stuff's coming from me. But then when stuff comes from outside, I now can discern when it's the enemy. And I want you to understand, God can speak to you, but the enemy can speak to you. But your mind is the battleground on which that spiritual warfare is fought. John Bunyan wrote a book. Of course, he wrote Progress, wonderful. But he also wrote a book called The Holy War. And he talks about the forces of diabolus, that's the word for devil, coming against the the city of man's soul. Man's soul is there as a castle. And you know the battleground before man's soul, do you know what it was? It was the mind. And the way Satan will gain entrance into your life as a Christian is through the mind. It is the battleground. And he wants to penetrate it with these thoughts. You see it here. Now let me help you a little more. Turn with me to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, the NIV translates it well, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Now please, note how many, let's say people, let's call them people, let's call them individuals or factors are here. Look at the many factors that are here. There's the flesh. That's our old, fallen, sinful nature that we get from Adam that wants to sin. Then there's the Spirit. That's the Spirit of God in us. And they're warring together. You feel like that sometimes, don't you? There's a battle raging inside you. Not just around you, but inside you. And the two want different things. Your old flesh wants to feed its nature And the Holy Spirit wants to feed the nature of God. These are contrary one to another so that you... You? How many many aspects are there here? There's flesh, Holy Spirit, and you. You know what that tells me? You are not your fallen nature. You are not your fallen nature. And some of you Christians have misconstrued that you are your fallen nature and you're continually weeping and wailing. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, and I'm so depraved, Lord. And who shall deliver me from this body of death? And God is saying to you, in the new covenant, I've taken out your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. And we so often resort back to the old. And we, we actually identify with our old nature. Here's the way you see it. You see you's different. You are the battleground, like your mind. You are the battleground on which this raging war between the fleshly nature that is in you, because you're part of Adam, and against the Spirit of God. But you know something? If you start to wrestle, you start to wrestle with the flesh, it will overcome you. You know what you need to do? You need to die and you need to let the Holy Spirit win the battle. You're the battleground. Your mind's the battleground. You're the battleground. You need to let the Holy Spirit win. You say, David, you're talking over my head. Would you tell me how that looks in shoe leather? How do I do that? I would like to do that, please. How do I allow the Holy Spirit to win that battle? I have never surfed. You can imagine looking at me that that would be the case. But I'm told by those who have that the key to surfing 
is to just go with the wave. To become one with the wave and just go. So when the force of the wave thrusts you up or wherever you go, you just become almost one with it and go with it. Child of God, if you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Now you need to get filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, just go with the flow that the Holy Spirit pushes you in. Just go with it. Don't you fight now. This is, this is the mistake we make. Don't you start wrestling with the flesh. You can't overcome the flesh. The flesh has to die at the cross. And Jesus, in his nature, has to live in you. Does that help? You've got to understand that the devil would love to condemn you and make you think, oh, it's all me, it's all me. But there's a war going on. And so you have to put this helmet of salvation on, knowing who you are in Christ, and putting it into your head, putting it into your head, who I am, but also into your heart by allowing the Holy Spirit to win the battle out in you. But come with me again. This is the, the helmet of hope, the Bible says. First Thessalonians 5, turn with me to there. First Thessalonians 5. And by the way, while you're turning to that, it's interesting to note Temptation, those thoughts of temptation that come into your head are not sin. Did you hear me? They're temptations to sin, but they are not sin. I know that for various reasons, not least that Eve in the Garden of Eden, Satan came to her before the fall, before she sinned, and tempted her. Now, how did he communicate it? Where? The mind. Incidentally, what kind of a temptation was it? It was a temptation to the mind. The knowledge of good and evil. But equally, our Lord Jesus Christ, the last Adam in the wilderness, 40 days, 40 nights being tempted by the devil. Where did he, 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 he experience those temptations first? They came to the mind. I'm going to make a statement that some of you might fall off your pew, but you've got to understand it. Jesus had tempting thoughts. Can you, not, can you agree with that? Because the enemy spoke where? Into his mind. He was undefiled, separate from sinners. He, he did not sin. But he was tested in all points as we are, apart from sin. But don't dilute the temptation, but equally don't inflate it to make it sin when it's not. It's what we do with it, of course, that matters, and Jesus rebuked it with the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, which we'll see tomorrow evening. But look at 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8. Let us who of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith. Remember we saw uh, Monday night that the breastplate of righteousness is also the breastplate of faith. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. That's interesting, isn't it? This helmet is the hope of salvation. Do you know what the word salvation means? It means deliverance. So this helmet is the hope of deliverance or rescue. What is the armor of Satan that he wants to put on your head? What's the opposite of that? Hopelessness, despair, utter dejection and depression. What is faith? Well, we hear a lot of sermons about faith and we hear a lot about love, but we don't hear much about hope, do we? Let's be honest. Who here, put your hand up if you've ever heard a sermon on hope. Put your hand up. Hi. There's a couple of people. Only about two. Hope. Faith is the assurance of the fulfillment of the promise of God's word. You know, you understand that. We saw that last night. Faith is taking at face value and entering an engagement with all our hearts with the truth of God to believe God that it will be as he has told us. But you know what hope is? 
Hope is the anticipation of it. Right? Hope is getting excited about it. Hope is a certain expectation that it's going to happen. And it's as if you're living in anticipation in what has not yet happened, but which you hold on to by faith. You understand? Hope is anticipation. Now, I don't have time to go into this tonight. But I've alluded to the fact we're made up of spirit, soul, and body. Okay? The spirit is the part that God breathed into us. I believe that is the God-conscious part. The soul is the self-conscious part, made up probably of the mind, the emotions, and the will. And then the body is the world-conscious part. And God's ideal was that through the human spirit, his Holy Spirit would influence our minds, emotions, will, our soul, and our bodies would execute the will of God. When we fell into sin, our spirit died. Doesn't mean it ceased to exist. It means it was cut off from relationship with God, so it became selfish, soulish. Our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions were determined by sin. And our bodies became conduits and mediums for selfishness and sin. But now, because we are quickened in our spirits and connected with God, God now wants to bring His holy influence upon us via our human spirit, where the Holy Spirit resides, over our soul and even into our bodies. Do you know what hope is? Hope is the instrument that brings the influence of our spirit and therefore the Holy Spirit over our emotions. Let me repeat that. Hope is the instrument God uses to bring his blessed influence and release over our emotions. See, if you're hopeless and despairing, what's, what's happened to you? You're heartbroken. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. There's someone here tonight and you need to take the tablet of hope. You say, David, come on now. Hi, tell us again. Hi, how do we do this? Quick, how do we do it? Right, quick, turn with me to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. If you want the influence of hope over your emotions. This is a wonderful psalm. Of course, all this is given by grace through faith in Jesus. You come by faith to the Lord, but here's something practical of how to put this helmet of hope on your head to renew your mind and your emotions. Psalm 42, verse 5. I love this psalm. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Now they say that talking to yourself is the first sign of madness. But that's a lie. Because here the psalmist is talking to himself. And his spirit, I believe, is talking to his soul and saying to his emotions, why are you downcast? Hope in God. What does that mean? Anticipate. Live anticipating in expectation of the promises of God that you've engaged by faith in Live in them by hope and let that bolster your emotions for you will yet praise Him. Hope in God for He's the help of your countenance. In other words, He'll change your face for you. That's right. That's what it means. And some of us need our, change, our faces changed over. Our faces do speak of what we're like down deep, deep in. The eyes are the window of the soul. And I'm one of these people, I, just wear, I do wear my heart on sleeve in a sense, and people be able to tell if I'm really low. Seem to be able to tell. But that's the way we all are to an extent, unless we've got so used to it that we've suppressed and pushed down the reality of the way we are, and we put this facade on. People say, well, how are you? Oh, I'm dead on, not too bad, more right, yes. You know the way we do you need to take those thoughts by the scruff of your neck and to a certain extent yourself. And you need to say, talk to yourself. You hope in God. You have hope. And remind yourself of the promises of God. Remind yourself of the hope that there is in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. This is where the battle is won or lost in the mind. Because here's how it works. What you think in your mind will filter down into your emotions and affect your feelings. Then your feelings will start to affect your actions. Where you go and what you do or what you do or what you don't do. 
I'm going to leave you with a promise as I close tonight. Romans chapter 15. And this will be our benediction as we leave. But I believe this is for someday tonight. I'm sure more than one. Romans 15. What is this helmet you're putting on? Well, it's knowing the truths of salvation, but experientially who you are in Christ. You belong, you're accepted, you're safe, and you're secure. It's also knowing that God will speak to you in your mind, but knowing how vulnerable you are in your mind and to put the truth of God and to affect your mind and emotions by hope. Well, here's a promise of hope. Verse 13 of chapter 15. Now, may the God of hope... I tell you, now, I'm not being sarcastic and I'm trying not to be harsh. But how many of us, when we go to church, come away knowing that our God is a God of hope? Huh? I mean, let's be honest. Some of us feel worse when we go home from church. The God of hope, may he fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Now, here's the connection. If you have faith in the promises of God and you really believe them, you will have hope and joy and peace will come along with that hope. Who wants joy? Joy, real joy, wonderful joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Who wants peace? Peace of God that passes all understanding, ruling our hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, then you need hope. Believe in God and the God of hope will cause you to live in the future anticipation of things that haven't even already happened. You can live in heaven while you're down here on earth. That you may, look at the rest of the verse, abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This isn't the power of positive thinking. This isn't psychology. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, have you got the belt on? Breastplate on? Shoes on? Shield up? And your helmet on? Let's pray. Tomorrow night we're going to look at the sword of the Spirit and the secret weapon. That'll get you going thinking of what that is. The sword of the Spirit and the secret weapon. But listen tonight. Is there anyone in the gathering? And God has spoken to you. God has spoken to you about your security. Maybe you've been doubting your salvation and the enemy has been accusing you of how much of a failure you are. That's what he tells you and you agree with him. So you're not entering into that righteousness that Jesus has bought for you. And that's why you're doubting your salvation. You're not standing on the solid rock of Christ. If that's you tonight, God has spoken to you and you need to come through to security. Is there someone in the meeting tonight and you need the assurance of your salvation and you need to settle this business once and for all? Is there anyone, just where you're sitting, you would raise your hand to acknowledge that you need to be sure that you're saved tonight and you want to deal with all these doubts and you want to become secure tonight? Just raise your hand where you're, where you're sitting. Is there anyone? God bless you, sir. Praise the Lord. Is there anyone else? God bless. Anyone else? You want to come into the security of knowing you're a child. You're going to know tonight you're a child of the King. And he is your Father in heaven, your album in heaven. You've got to accept it now. Something for you to do. You've got to believe it and receive it. But you're going to, you've maybe entered in already. Praise God. Anyone else who's entered in and wants to confess it tonight? Anyone else? Is there anyone who knows that they need to put on this helmet of hope that there's going to be deliverance? Maybe deliverance in your life. Maybe you've given up in that area, that problem, issue. You've given up, thrown in the towel. Or maybe it's someone else in your family or among your friends and you've really lost all hope. You've become hopeless. 
Maybe even your prayers, as someone said to me at the door the other night, sometimes you talked about turning our cares into prayers. Sometimes my prayers turn into cares. And sometimes our prayers are just expressions of unbelief. Oh Lord, oh please come and do this. Please, please, please. And we're not coming in faith. We're not coming in hope. We're not believing the promises and pleading them. Is there anyone and you need to turn around tonight? To start hoping in God and take yourself to the scuff of the neck with the power of God and start hoping in God that he's going to come through for you. Raise your hand where you are. Sitting. Is there anyone? God bless. People raising their hands. Praise God. Believing him and hoping in him. Boy, that's going to do your emotions some good. Anyone else? Is there any folk just generally? God bless you. I see you. Is there any folk just generally? God's spoken to you in a way that I couldn't even imagine about something. And you just want to respond tonight and confess that before the Lord. Is there anyone? Anyone else? I'll give you the opportunity. God bless you. Anyone else? Oh, God's working. God's working. Now, I'm going to pray with these folk. But I want, you need to pray yourself. There's so many diverse needs here that you need to pray your own prayer, but I'll help you. Just come to God, and here's what you need to address him as. Abba, Father. Would you do that? Abba, Father. I come to you. Confess whatever sins you need to confess. Confess your despair. Renounce it. Renounce unbelief. Renounce hopelessness. Whatever it is. Renounce doubting his word, or doubting his love and compassion, and then ask him for what you need. Just D.L. Moody, once, there was a man leading the meeting and he waffled on for ages and then he got up and he prayed all around the world. And Moody pulled the, coat, the coattails and he says, would you just call him Father and ask him for something? Just call him Father and ask him for something. You call him Abba tonight and ask him for what you need. And if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit or whatever you need? To him when you ask him. You ask him now. Ask him. Ask him. Ask him to give you hope. In believing. Joy and peace. Ask him. Ask him. Say, Abba, this is what I need. Now listen, tonight I feel led to close the meeting in prayer and we're not going to sing our closing hymn. And I'm going to ask you to do something. I asked you to do it last night. I'm not scolding you, but a few of you did it. If we're going to discern spirits, you need to discern that the Holy Spirit is here now. Do you sense the Holy Spirit? Do you? I'm going to give you a little secret that I've learned. If you welcome the Holy Spirit, He will come in greater power. And you know one of the ways that we welcome Him? We conserve His presence. We preserve it. He is like the dove he is very easily disturbed and he flies away. So if after the benediction you start chatting about the weather and the football, you can forget about the sense of the Holy Spirit that's over this meeting right now. But you see, if you just, and I'm not controlling, you do what you like, but you see, if you were of the disposition just to wait before God, and if you have to go, you have to go, presence of God would increase. I've seen it several times. It's all to do with what you want. Whether you want home quicker than you want God. So would you do that? You can talk in the hall and we'll have a cup of tea or out in the, the foyer or in the car park. But let us reverence the presence <coughs> of God in this place. Abba, Father, I thank you 
that you are the holy God, but you're also our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Lord, I pray that people tonight will enter into what it is to know the Father heart of God, to know what it is to come home, even if they're a prodigal, and to know the robe put on them, and the ring on their finger, and the, the fatted calf killed, that there be no elder brothers or sisters in the meeting tonight that doesn't enter into the heart of Abba Father. And Lord, may we all know how you want us to be secure. You want us to be safe. You want us to enter into that rest of faith. And you want us to have on our head a helmet of hope. You want us to live not despairingly, but in the hope of deliverance for our own lives, our families, our communities, and our churches. Lord, may the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing that we may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.